0: It's Friday, November 19th, and we're talking about another S1. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis. I'm joined by Fool.com's airhead advocate of automating asset accumulation, Brian Feroldi. Brian, I want to note that you write your title. I don't write your title, so that's you calling yourself an airhead. I am not calling you an airhead.
1: I feel like that's at least 25% of the prep that I do for these shows is coming up on that name for myself, but I have fun doing it, and that's what matters.
0: I think our listeners enjoy it, and I certainly enjoy the tongue twister to kick things off. I will note we are talking about a company whose name starts with you. Usually, we get alliteration leading into that. We're talking about user testing today. Um, Didn't tip that with our title, but this is a super interesting business. I think a very sign-of-the-times type company, Brian. Um, And we are talking about it largely because we had two listeners write in. Shout out to James and Steven, uh, two folks that wrote into the show uh, wanting to talk about this one. Uh, This is brand new, Brian. Just came public this week.
1: And I'm really glad James and Stephen brought this to our attention because this company is pretty small. It's valued today at about two billion dollars. Didn't really move much based on the IPO. Currently trading right around its IPO price. But this would have flown under my radar if it wasn't for James and Stephen highlighting it. I'm glad they did because this is a very interesting business.
0: Very interesting business. I think one that kind of squarely gets at world where the world is going. And those are always very interesting businesses to check out. Um, why don't we kick kick off right away with the mission? Uh, to empower every organization with the breakthrough perspectives they need to deliver truly exceptional customer experiences using human insight. It's a little buzzword heavy, Brian, but it does do a pretty good job of explaining what this company does.
1: I like mission-driven companies, and I like that the company put this right up front. To your point, you could probably delete about half the words in there and get the insights that they're going for, but it does spell out what this company is trying to do.
0: Yeah, and and if you want the plain and simple version of it, it basically helps businesses see experiences through the customer's eyes. Uh, I'm going to pull directly from the S1 here so that they can kind of explain in their own terms. They say, we've pioneered a video-first enterprise-grade software-as-a-service platform that enables organizations to see and hear the experiences of real people. As they engage with the products, designs, apps, processes, concepts, or brands. A platform c- captures authentic, credible, and highly contextualized customer perspectives from targeted audiences who have opted in to share their thoughts, whether digital, real world, or omni channel experiences. So, Brian, this is basically a business that gets your core user, whoever you're able to identify as your core user, um, puts products or experiences. It could be unboxings, it could be site layouts. In front of them, and then gets their organic reactions.
1: Yeah, it's a really cool, interesting, interesting product that this company has has made. And they call out that the problem they're really trying to solve is collecting user feedback in real time currently is not easy. It's hard to find consumers for businesses to connect with that are willing to to do this. uh, The way that companies enterprises do this nowadays is they pay an ad agency, uh, an agency uh, tens of thousands of dollars to go out do this kind of testing and there's often a long delay in the feedback loop where it takes months for them to get a report and if the report has any actional feedback, it's possible that the product or the website has already changed. so user testings product dramatically uh, speeds up that uh, that process. It's really cool I actually went on the website to kind of test it out basically you go in there, as a brand, you want you can ask any question that you want. So you wanna validate your unboxing experience or how your user website uh, works. You fill out some forms to target exactly the kind of audience that you're uh, you're going for. And within a matter of hours, you will have real world feedback of customers using your product or, or website back to you. And the company also has automated software that scans through the videos as these users are using the product to highlight any moments of frustration or excitement it's a really cool technology.
0: Yeah, I was watching a video that one of the co-founders did. It was it was an interview, and it was just kind of talking about the genesis of the company. And he was a he was at Apple at one point, and he had watched this uh, this breakdown basically of users unboxing uh, an Apple laptop and trying to get an Apple laptop set up. And we generally think of Apple as this super intuitive company, right? Plug and play, um, very easy, very user friendly, um, and and yet, like, there were still complications that people ran into in trying to do that. Um, and, and that process of understanding exactly where the pain points are for your customers, it's a huge part of that iterative product design um, or website design or whatever that experience might be um, in making it as easy as possible. Because ultimately, it doesn't matter what you're able to promise people. If, if, if the interface isn't intuitive, if the unboxing isn't intuitive, it's not going to land for them.
1: And if you are designing a product, if you ever designed a product or a, a graphic or, or anything like that, you have it in your way, how you want the user to do it. But when the user actually uses it, oftentimes they're looking at completely different things uh, than, you, than you want to. I experienced this firsthand when I was uh, working for the company uh, prior to The Motley Fool, way back when I was making uh, the user guide. And we had this whole unboxing experience that was supposed to be magical for the user. And we watched some videos that users posted on YouTube. This is way back in the, in the day of them doing that. And we were like, oh my God, they're not doing anything the quote unquote right way.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. You have this idea of how things should go in your head. And that's true whether you're creating content, uh, whether you're trying to explain something to somebody, um, or, or whether you're trying to build an experience that's intuitive, whether it's uh, you know navigating a video library um, or navigating e-commerce website. Um, and ultimately... What you have in your head does not get transmitted over to your customers. And so you need to be able to understand how they are looking at these things. And that's exactly what this company helps people do. And I think, crucially, Brian, at scale, I think that's where this business is able to separate itself from some of the legacy experiences that people te- typically lean on uh, for these types of insights.
1: And you can imagine the, va- the the value of this kind of product to, to a company, especially if, if you're on your website. I mean, A-B testing uh, at a lot of companies improves conversions rates in small percentages, and those small percentages can lead to huge outsized uh, results. So I would imagine the investment in this kind of technology could lead to companies capturing far more revenue than they would without this.
0: Yeah, I think it's incredible. I mean, a lot of what we experience, whether it's through e-commerce companies or content companies like Netflix, it's the result of rigorous A B testing. They give you a small sample size, uh, and and or they, they give a feature to a small sample size of people, understand how that impacts usage and whatever they are trying to drive at. And then if it does that, they wind up expanding it and rolling it out to everybody. Before a lot of that even happens, there is this testing phase. And I think that's that's kind of where this company can step in. Uh, there are a lot of very obvious use cases for something like that with product design, uh, with with UI, uh, with marketing. We talked about unboxing too. Um, but really, I think if you are looking for insights on how the actual customer is experiencing something, this is a business that can probably step in and help you.
1: For sure. And what's also nice about this product is they do have some built-in integrations with many of the leading products uh, than the market today. Uh, The company calls out, for example, that this works seamlessly with products by Adobe, uh, by Qualtrics, uh, by Slack, by Atlassian's products, Jira and Trello. We both know that that integration leads to higher satisfaction and increased stickiness.
0: Yep. And, Brian, when I put the company in the company's own words, pulled directly from their S1, I said SaaS right up there, enterprise grade software as a service company. Uh, no surprise here when we look at the business model um, and the relationship that they have with their customers. Two main revenue sources for this business we have subscriptions, 94% of their total revenue, and we have professional services, 6% of the total revenue. Pretty typical dynamics here, right? Most software as a service companies have that breakdown. They kind of have to have that professional services revenue.
1: Yep, for sure. Subscription revenue, the one that we care about, that is high margin. and makes up about 93, 94% of total revenue in any given quarter. Professional services revenue, that's the hand-on test uh, hand-holding for companies that want help getting up and running with the product. Uh, that is a necessary evil for a lot of these uh, software and server companies. It is worth noting that they actually have a positive gross margin on that business. It's a lower gross margin than the core business, but it is still there. Uh, still, it's a pretty typical uh, model that we've seen with this company.
0: Yep. You put it all together, uh, about $135 million in trailing 12-month revenue. uh, Stacks with about what you'd expect for a $2 billion debut for this business. 44% top-line growth in the first half of 2021. That high revenue number uh, coming from the subscription base means pretty strong gross margins, Brian, 73%. uh, And we've actually seen them expand a little bit from uh, where they were in 2020. Uh, As you also might expect with a business like this, Brian, losing money, and uh, sales spend is is really the culprit.
1: Yeah, one of the things that the company calls out is it believes that it is primarily competing against companies doing this for themselves. We've seen that with many SaaS companies. And there are pluses and minuses to that. When you are opening up a a brand new market for yourself, uh, that's great. The competition isn't as intense. The downside is there's a massive education spend that has to go in to educate customers as to why they need this. As a result, we see heavy, heavy spending on on sales uh, sales and marketing, which is the number one cost. Uh, The number two cost is research and development. And the number three cost is overhead. Uh, But those costs are pretty heavy. And as a result, this company is losing money on a net income basis and a free cash flow basis.
0: Yeah, I think um, you know as you would expect for a business that is in this stage, and and I'll say like, we'll get into it a little bit with the competition discussion, but I don't know that there are a lot of businesses doing precisely what this company does that are very big at this point. I think that there are elements uh, of this company that exist in other offerings, um, and there are small players that that kind of do precisely what it does. But there's no one that's that's really big that has uh, kind of absorbed this market yet, and so yeah, they're they're going to have to do a lot to educate their customers, and they're going to have to prove to them that it's worth going with them instead of whatever they have in terms of in-house operations already. Um, You mentioned the losses, Brian. What's nice is even before IPO, this company had a pretty decent amount of cash on the balance sheet, did not seem to have much in the way of long-term debt.
1: Yeah, that that financially was uh, was was good about this company. So for the fir- through the first nine months of twenty twenty one, this company's free cash flow was negative twenty nine million dollars. You know, if you annualize that for the year, call it a, a thirty million dollar uh, free cash flow loss. That should, in theory, uh, decrease in time as that top line continues to move uh, higher uh, compared to what they. Now have on their balance sheet, thanks to their their IPO, they basically ended September and um, on a pro forma basis with about 189 million dollars in cash, uh, zero debt. So this company does have the financial resources to continue to reinvest in itself and run at a loss for a few more years if it wants to.
0: Yeah, and I think if you're looking at the liabilities for them, largest one I saw was 73 million in unearned revenue, which, as liabilities go, is one that you're pretty happy to stomach, Brian. <laughs>
1: For sure. That is a sign of pent-up, unearned, unearned demand. But yeah, the thing that I always pay attention is to the, the real liabilities, which would be the long-term debt. And on that front, this company doesn't have any. Great to see. Yeah.
0: Um, looking over at leadership, uh, this is not a founder-led business, but both founders are involved with the company, uh, as, as I understand it. Um, so founded by Daryl uh, Benatar, who's on the board, uh, and Dave Gar. Uh, who I believe is at the company, but perhaps isn't on the executive team. Uh, the CEO, Annie McMillan, took over a couple years ago and has a, a pretty bona fide uh, pedigree in the tech space.
1: Yeah, I, I also looked into Dave Gar. If you look at LinkedIn, uh, it says that he is still the co founder. Uh, of user testing, but he's, his name isn't anywhere in the uh, the SEC filings and he's, he's not on the, the executive team and he's not on the board. Uh, so it's possible he's just a quote unquote rank and file uh, employee. But yeah, this is a situation where the uh, the founders did hand over the CEO role uh, to Andy McMillan. As you said, he is a former uh, product executive at both Oracle and Salesforce. He seems like a very accomplished uh, individual. The next check for us is always ownership and glass door. Pretty good ratings there. The company gets 4.2 stars out of five. Uh, McMillan himself has an 88% CEO approval rating. Uh, pretty good. And Macmillan actually owns 4% of shares outstanding. Uh, compare that to Daryl uh, Benatar, one of the co-founders. He owns about 5.5% uh, percent of shares. But 4% ownership of this business, considering the CEO has only been there for three years, is actually a pretty good number.
0: Yeah, and I think that's you know that's that's pretty good uh, alignment. And also uh, for someone who is not a founder and, and took this company public, he's actually been with the business for several years. Uh, I think he's been with user testing since 2018. So it's not like he was hired as the executive to take them public you know 12 months ago. Like he is, he has been with this business um, and, and understands it has been embedded with it for quite some time, which which for me, given that he's not a founder, is always reassuring.
1: For sure. Uh, nice to see. I, I'll always take a founder. Uh, if I can't have that, I'll take a long-time executive. Uh, I like to see executives being at the company for more than five years, so he's starting to get inching close to that. But I do like to see that he does have 4% ownership in this business. His incentives are definitely aligned with ours.
0: We mentioned earlier that a, a big part of uh, you know what, what this company is going to be doing, I think, over the next couple of years is really educating and, and creating awareness in the marketplace for what they're able to do, maybe how they're able to do it better than... Uh, the in-house operations for a lot of these businesses. Uh, we see already though, there, there are some pretty big names on the customer list for this company.
1: The company has already signed up more than 2,100 customers in total, and this is from a wide range of industries. Uh, a couple of flagship customers they have, uh, DocuSign, Microsoft, Subway, Lowe's, Puma. Albertsons, Pitney Bowes. It is nice to see that they have uh, signed on a lot of companies, not just tech companies that are from so many different industries.
0: Yeah. and I, I will say, I think this company is still very much in the infancy of targeting enterprise customers. Um, there's, a, there's a pretty classic arc that they went through. They started as a pay-as-you-go model when they were founded back in 2007. They transitioned to subscription about a decade ago. Uh, and Now that they've reached a certain size, uh, they are firmly in SaaS and they are targeting these enterprise customers. Tough to do that until you're a business of a certain size, Brian. Uh, but I think we are going to see increasingly more and more big names start joining that customer list.
1: Yep. And, and what's nice to see is as of the middle of 2021, uh, some of those customers are spending a, a substantial amount of money uh, with user testing. Uh, as of, again, the middle of the year, they had 249 customers that are going to spend at least $100,000 uh, with this platform in any given year. The company also did give us the number that we love, a dollar-based net revenue retention rate. This number isn't as sky high as we see with some other businesses, but overall, for a software-based solution, it's pretty good. Uh, it was 117 in the first half of 2021. As of the most recent quarter, that did tick up a little bit to 119 percent. Clearly shows that the company is doing a good job at not only hanging on to its customers, but gradually upselling them over time too.
0: Yeah, and, and I will note we always like to look at customer concentration. If you go back over some of the recent years, they have not had a business uh comprise more than 10% of accounts receivable. So we didn't see a lot of concentration. That changed once we got to 2021. Uh, they do have one customer uh accounting for approximately 18% of accounts receivable as of midway through 2021. The the con of that is there's a little bit of customer concentration there, Brian. The pro of that is they it looks like they signed a pretty big contract with somebody.
1: Yeah. I, and it is accounts receivable, importantly. It's not it's not sales. So it is going to be on the owners of the company to col- collect against them. And it is a little bit eye-opening that they haven't collected a- as of yet. So that will be something to watch. But overall, the company does have 2,100 customers. It's broadly diversified. So I, I'm i not going to knock this company at all for having any customer concentration issues.
0: We talked a, l- a little bit earlier just about how this seems like a business that is where the world is going. We, we know that these digital businesses, these platforms, uh, these e-commerce storefronts, it is such a test and learn, iterate environment. Um, I, I can't think of uh, a business that is better positioned to help benefit from that than, than a company like this. It seems like there's plenty of opportunity here in front of user testing.
1: The company did put out some TAM numbers in its uh, in its S one, and these do come from third parties such as S and P, Capital IQ, as well as IDC. Both numbers that uh, that the company that those entities threw out were in the forty one to forty seven billion dollar range. Uh, compare that to the trailing twelve month revenue of one hundred and forty million, and the opportunity is clearly huge. Uh, what's more, the company's growth strategy is pretty similar to what we see for any given SaaS company. It's land new customers, roll out new products, upsell existing customers, create new partnerships, and expand geographically. One thing that I was pleasantly surprised to see was that this company already has a presence in international markets. 18% of revenue is currently gathered from outside of of the United States. The company believes there is a meaningful room to improve that number over time. But the fact that it's 18% already shows me that this concept does translate into international markets.
0: Yeah, and I think there's nothing inherently North American about what they are doing here. The challenge, I think, as they look to scale things internationally is they want to make sure that they have the user base for the audience that these businesses are looking to test. And so, you know, in a way, this is kind of a marketplace, right? They connect people that are in parts of, you know, various demographics um, and kind of check the boxes for who companies are trying to get in front of, Um they, they need to be able to connect those people with the companies, and so they need to establish that base of testers um, and people that can provide feedback, but I mean, th- there's nothing to say they couldn't do that.
1: Yeah. And it is worth pointing out that if you're interested in becoming a tester of one of these products, you can go right to users testing's uh, website and, and sign up and they, they they pay something like $10 for for five minutes or more. Or you can do a more detailed uh, analysis. I think it's up to 30 to uh, even $100 uh, per hour to become a tester. So like you said, I do think there are some network effects at play here. Once you get to a certain size of users on your platform, you can help your customers to target exactly who they're looking for so that is a dynamic uh, for investors to be aware of.
0: Yeah, and I'll I'll give a shout out to our listener, Stephen, here. Um, In in the email that Stephen wrote us, I mentioned that he was an on-and-off tester for some time to, to make some side money, uh, and noted that it has been harder to qualify for the tests, um, which to me, Brian, is a sign that uh, the quality of the testers is improving, and, and that's what you want. Um, but I also love just the, the boots on the ground type approach, the, the, the firsthand experience with this business. Um, we talk about all the time how it's so important to get the perspectives of users. Love that in this email that we got from one of our listeners even proposing the idea for the show, we got a little bit of that.
1: Yeah, for sure. Nothing beats firsthand experience, so it is it is good to see uh, those uh, those kind of uh, qualitative uh, factors.
0: So when it comes to risks, uh, I, we've talked about it a little bit. I don't know that there's anyone that does precisely this uh, in a big way in the mid cap or, or large cap space. I think there are elements here that um, exist at some bigger offerings, um, but in doing my homework on the competition, Brian, I saw that there are a couple of small players. That operate in a very similar space. There's UserZoom and there's TryMyUI, um, and and they are quite similar in that they're you know trying to harness user experiences, get them in front of companies in a way that scales. Um, but I, I don't really see anyone that's bigger than them that is squarely focused on this market.
1: It seems to be a differentiated business model too. Keep in mind the traditional way that a company would do this is they would hire a consultant group to, to come in, perform these user tests, and and provide a report after the fact. You can you can. Uh, user testing's tools allow you to essentially do that yourself quickly and get the results back uh, very, very, very fast. So it is kind of disruptive to 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 to, to that market. Uh, to your point, though, they do have some closer direct competitors with UserZoom and TryMyUI, but they do seem to be the big, the top dog in the space.
0: Yeah, and there are other big businesses that get at pieces of this. There are, you know, there's online sentiment and survey companies, Qualtrics, Medallia, SurveyMonkey, a business we've talked about on the show before. Uh, there are analytics companies uh, like Google Analytics, for example. We use the fool. Um, and then, you know, there's uh, research firms like Cantor, uh, There's panel aggregators. There are a lot of people that get at the bits and pieces of this. I think the sauce for this business is uh, the fact that it's virtual, the scale that it's able to offer, and probably the speed that it's able to offer.
1: In addition to that, the software that they have that helps to comb through the actual user videos themselves and kind of automatically pull out uh, the the, the key parts. If you've ever tried to sit through a video recording of somebody doing something, there's a lot of data that, that goes in there. So having software that kind of automates that product is key.
0: Yeah, Brian, I would almost say looking at this business, I see the bigger risk of them not being able to convince people that it's worth outsourcing this uh, if they have in-house operations already, especially if they're targeting enterprise customers. Um, Based on the the competitive landscape, I I feel like they're actually in a pretty good position to seize the greenfield in front of them.
1: I, I, I would agree with that. I mean, my biggest knock against this company is that it's spending so much money on sales and marketing that it's uh, that it's not producing any uh, net income or free cash flow at the time. On the flip side, as long as the company is rapidly growing its user base, which it's doing, keeping customers, which it's doing, and upselling them over the time, that's an investment that this company should keep the gas on for as long as possible. Uh, what's more, the company didn't need to, to come, come public. I think this was, in some ways, both a financing event and a marketing event for uh, for for user testing so on that front we might see an acceleration in this company's business
0: yeah i think that's right i think i think it's absolutely dead on um and and you mentioned some of the things that were on my list for you know the concerns the risks um and and that's you know some of the financials but it makes sense with the stage that this company is at um i do think you know one thing that we have to keep in mind with a company like this is in addition to the fact that they have to educate a lot of customers i think what this product fits into in terms of the hierarchy of decisions is is lower and maybe a little bit less necessary than some other software providers that are out there that we often talk about on the show.
1: Yeah, that's something that I'm still current, per- personally struggling with this company. Is this a need-to-have product, can't do business without it, or is it a nice-to-have uh, a product? I mean, it does make products better, and you could make the argument that using this product leads to better customer experiences down the road, which leads to higher conversion rates, higher revenue. On that perspective, I could see the investment that companies make into this product really paying off in the long run. But that's something that requires education and salesmanship up front to convey that message. Uh, So that is just a dynamic that I'm personally working through.
0: Yeah. And and I think, you know, one way to look at that is if your budget's tight and you have a CRM tool or, you know, you have an email tool or you have uh, an e-signature tool, um, those are probably a little bit more directly necessary to the core operations of your business. Whereas this is something that layers in as insights that drive where your business is going. And so if if money's tight, I could see spend coming back uh, and and maybe going to other places. Um, And this could be maybe one of the first uh, line items that companies look to get away with.
1: Yeah, I could very much see this company being an acquisition target for a a larger business. I mean, I personally think this would slide in beautifully uh, to Salesforce.com's model as a wonderful add-on feature. And knowing that company's history, uh, they they could sneeze and and, and acquire this company for a little bit. Obviously, you don't want to bet on the thesis can't be this company is going to get acquired, but I could very much see this being a nice addition to a big company's portfolio.
0: Yeah. From your lips to Mark Benioff's ears, Brian. Uh, <laughs> uh, we talked about some of the the things we're concerned about. I do think there are a lot of things to be positive about with this business, one of them being market leader, and it feels like where the world is going. Um, traditionally, that has been a pretty good investment case uh, as you're looking at software players.
1: Yeah, there's more. There's definitely more to like here uh, than there's not to, to like here. Uh, it's a market leader. Uh, the SaaS model is often awesome. Awesome. Uh, the founders are, are are still involved, even though they're not involved in the day to day. They still have their their handprints uh, on it. Uh, good good glass door ratings. Glass. The gross margin is high, and I think can continue uh, to rise. An impressive list of customers and a differentiated product. Uh, when you layer in that fact, I don't think the stock is trading at a crazy valuation uh, uh, either. Somewhere around say 12 to 15 times uh, sales, that is not a number that is pricing in tons and tons of hyper growth. So if this company can continue growing as it just reported, uh, there's upside here.
0: Yeah, and I think this is the kind of business that can probably find revenue acceleration, depending on the customers that they bring on, especially with the size that they currently are. So, I, I think that valuation number is very reasonable. For me, it's a watchless stock and, and one that I'm, I'm really glad that our listeners put on our radar, um, one that I'll be keeping tabs on and seeing, You know, are, are we going to continue to see the growth rates that we've seen? Are we going to see the adoption? Can they make that case to these enterprise customers? If so, I think there's a very compelling business here.
1: Yeah, I'm right there. I mean, a first glance looks really good, but I want to see how this company performs as a public uh, company before I would get more excited about it.
0: Let's see those earnings reports, right, Brian? You got it. (laughs) (laughs) Brian, thanks so much for joining me on today's show. Anytime, Dylan. Hope you feel better. Thank you. Appreciate it. Listeners, that's going to do it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, shoot us an email at fool.com or tweet us at Focus. If you want more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks Tim Sparks for all his work behind the glass today, and thank you for listening. Until next time, Fool on.